0: Hello, hello, hello! Welcome to Cotton and the Rocketship. I am your host, Linux Mars Jr., and this is going to be season two, episode twenty-six. And the name of this episode is going to be called "Secret War." And the reason why it's going to be called "Secret War" is because I'm going to touch on there's a just some class warfare going on in America. And I'm not sure if people are privy to it. But, you know, um, one thing I say about this podcast is we cross between race, class, um, gender. We talk about the intersectionalities. And um, one of the things we want to talk about is that um, there's a lot of pushback going on, right? There's a lot of unemployment here. And then on the employer side, there's a lot of people who quote-unquote don't want to work right and I'll say that I can't I understand both sides of the coin because one I was employed gainfully employed and two is that I I own a business but not only that I have so I was afforded some education um, which I'm privileged to have so I just want to explain what I see in in this class warfare right and why I call it a silent war is because things are starting to open up because of COVID. And in my previous um, pods and episodes, I talked about them not giving a stimulus to people when they needed it. Um, In Congress, it pretty much was very slow on the uptake, right? They gave us $600 for six months or seven months or something like that. And then it was like another 12. And then they played around with the money. But so far now that they were able to Extend unemployment and add an, an additional three hundred dollars onto whatever people were making. So some people are, are now making more than what they would have done working. And so now we have this this um this effect where essentially people aren't stupid. Unemployment lasts about two years in the United States. And if they can milk the system or they can milk unemployment, they could. And I'm not I'm not knocking them. Because, like myself, I never once took unemployment. I know some people that worked their entire lives never ha- never having to file unemployment. There's a lot of people like that, that I know. Most of them, of course, are like either African-American or um, who identify as all either Latino or Hispanic. And they work very hard. And they're not working, right? And so businesses are saying people don't want to work, right? But... There is not a living wage here in America, and there's not even a, a comparable wage, right? Something that you can progress to. Wages actually have been stagnated since what, around the 1960s. There's a little bit of a little bit of growth, right? So it went from like 7.25 to 9 something. Now the minimum wage here in the United States um, is about 10.50, I think, in New Jersey. But they're trying to incrementally go up to $15 but the truth of the matter is for business owners and small business owners who make up the brunt of of employment because a lot of times people say it's corporations corporations small business owners make up almost 80 to 90 percent of employment so you can't honestly expect a small business owner to foot the burden of um health care as well as um paying $15 an hour what I foresee is going to happen is that people are just going to, and, and employers aren't stupid either. Employers are just going to couple the jobs, right? They're just going to reduce work staff, increase hours, in merge positions. I would do the same thing, right? Because the first rule of, of business is people or employment is an operational expense. So unfortunately, as, as much as you would want to save people's jobs, you would want to save the business, right? Because it, it keeps you afloat. And so you have this push and pull. And then there's this dichotomy going on where people are not, they're silently striking. I call it a silent strike. Um, they're withholding their labor because they feel as though they, they deserve more. And I half-heartedly agree, right? What is deserved more? I understand there's some arguments to say that you know somebody behind the counter of McDonald's deserves $15 an hour i agree it's it, it's definitely a skill right to be a, a fried cook to work under pressure to work on demand uh, under demand however it's not going to work like that if you're a big company rule number 1 is i'm going to pay $100,000 to get this automation popping so what they're going to do in McDonald's and these other places they're expensive they're already experimenting with you know, uh, cashierless people, right, It's almost replaced like the ATM, right, the automatic teller machine, right, it used to be a teller there, a man or woman who was getting paid a full salary, now it's automated, automatic teller machine, that's the ATM, it's convenient, but you do all the work, that's the same thing with now you can bag your groceries, instead of paying a cashier, you have someone stand at a k- kiosk with seven or eight panels and that's what happens you bag your own groceries you, you, sh- you pick up your own items and there's going to be less and less employment because these businesses realize that they can just automate and automation is going to take away your jobs so I, on both hands there's no escape and um what my solution is on both ends is that people have to get better or they're going to be left behind um it, there's no now it's, it there's not going to be a no in between i was looking at um some of the the motivational speakers and i, I believe his name is simon uh sinek he writes a couple books i, I read a, a few books on his behalf and he discusses that we already are in this gig economy and the gig economy is like, you know, there's a lot of college individuals who, who have college degrees, PhDs, they're picking up Uber Eats, Siemens, um, they're shopping for groceries for other people. Um, you name it. Uh, there's some people who do Airbnb. You name it. There, there's these um, disruptive um, industries where people are gaining some success and some money, but also these individuals, on top of their additional jobs, if they do have an additional job, they're jumping into this gig economy. It's been tons of times where I've hopped into Lyfts or Ubers where they've they've graduated from somewhere. There's times where I met the Bartista from Starbucks and they have a PhD. I, I am not kidding you. So even the schooling is not getting it right, right? And I see that it's coming to a head, that America won't be able to sustain itself in many different ways and it's happening fast especially with people trying to get back to quote-unquote work what is the normalcy that's going to happen right or I know there's some exploratory work where um Andrew Yang was talking about uh UBI which is a universal basic income where they were going to pay people to um basically pay their rent or there's just a, a stipend that you get monthly to stave off the regular bills and then you can go on with your day-to-day lives to do any additional work which I thought would be interesting to do because they, they have that in um, some of the Scandinavian countries and a lot of the America is very interesting because we work a lot of our lives um, and that's one of the reasons why I don't I don't beat my fiance up about you know the mundane, quote unquote, womenly things, and even the things that men are supposed to do, because we work more hours than our our fathers and our mothers, right? They, they my mom worked a full 40. If she wanted to work additional overtime, then she did so. If My dad wanted to work additional overtime, he did so. But the 40-hour week was a standard. Now, you, on average, I, I'm a before I started my business, I was working 60 hours a week on average because I had the on-call hours. And technically, I'm doing the same thing, but I'm self-employed and I'm reaping the benefits better than working for someone else because there's something called diminishing returns, right? The longer you you work at a job and in, in, if you're on salary, you, you get paid less, right? Your hour, your salary income, if you were to break it down hourly, you're actually getting paid instead of that 25 or that $30 an hour you thought you wanna be paid You're really getting paid like 15 like the rest of like the rest of the world. Um, But that's just a little hint. But I also have um, a few other things that I want to bounce off you. And I I made a a poem called Dungeons. And I wanted to share with you because I didn't really speak on my life out after college in, um, in spoken word form. And this is one of the ones that I thought about and um, I'll share it with you. It's called Dungeons. The slavery is mental. The chains are economic. Who would have thought I would have be serving a sentence out of college? Sally Mae was the overseer. Many different bodies on display. Take away my right to live if I do not pay forced to take this plantation nine to five two to three jobs just to stay alive I work and sleep I sleep I work my dreams are my peace until I can't run from my purpose and sleep becomes worthless I acquire power through these strips of meaningless paper just to be free Dungeons So, um, it it, it, I call it dungeons because it's a trap, right? It's a trap. Um, And I remember having a conversation with my uh, one of my mentees, and he he asked me, "When you graduated from college, how did you feel?" I was like, "It was the best. It was one of the best feelings of my life." But also, I had buyer's remorse. It was like buying something that you feel as though you paid too much for. And that was my degree, right? I am grateful for my degree. I'm grateful for the experiences. I'm grateful to have graduated in a time that I did. I'm grateful for the, making the network that I did. I'm grateful for having the type of degree that I do have. However, I feel as though I paid too much for it. And I, when I got my master's degree, that was one of the things I, I, I said in my mind was that I don't want to pay for my next degree. I don't want to pay for my master's degree because I knew that the brunt of your, your education or the brunt of the money that you're going to pay for your education if you have, like myself, I have a labor studies um, undergraduate degree, which is uh, equivalent to HR, but you can go into labor. And that industry is so gridlocked because it's not that you can't have a job in HR. It's just that those are the people that, that's in charge of hiring, firing. So if you're comfortable in HR and you know what you're doing in HR, you're not going to give that job up because it's the it's almost the ultimate stability. And when having that type of job, you kind of have the keys to the kingdom. You can watch people come and go. And then as you build your your experience, you can go somewhere else where someone leaves and fills in, and then you can have a a better position, a more stable nine to five, and you can have the rest of your your time to do whatever you need to do. It's a very cushy job, but it's a very technical job. So you have to get it right. And especially if you work in like compensation and benefits or you work in training and development, these are some um, very niche specific um, industries where you can make a lot of money and you can maximize the, the amount of effort that you put into it, because if you make a training and development program that that takes hold in a Fortune 500 company, you're it's it's in the millions, right? You can make you can make hundreds of thousands of dollars over a weekend just by doing training and development. So, but it's it's a highly specialized skill, and you need to to develop that consumer base and you need to develop that client base over time but going into dungeons is that right now it's not there there is not a um like bob marley said right he said emancipate yourself from mental slavery the slavery is no longer chains it's no longer metal bars there is a game for that that's called the prison industrial complex however for smarter people in the race and not not to knock anybody who who was incarcerated but there's also there's multiple traps and i fell into well i I didn't fall into a trap but i i'm lucky enough to escape without it's almost like the door shut and my ankle was there and i sprained my ankle that's how i look at it i slid under the door like in one of those 1980 movies and just before it, it closed in on my leg, I was able to pull it out. And so I left out of undergraduate with not that much debt to my name. But I, I have some friends who had $60,000 in undergraduate debt. And then they went and got an a additional degree, a master's degree. And they got another 40, they put another $40,000 on top of that. So they left out of college with um, a master's degree with a $100,000 worth of debt That's some serious um, Payments (laughs) That is some serious payments To stomach And um, If you don't have the right degree Because all degrees aren't made equal And if you don't have the right degree From the right um, institution You are in for a world of hurt And it prolongs your life so what I said, the slavery is mental and the change are economic is that if you fall into the rat race of saying that I'm going to get multiple degrees, you're going to be like that person who has a PhD working at Starbucks if you don't make your degree work for you. Because the universities are the same way. A lot of professors aren't getting tenure. A lot of professors of colors are definitely not getting tenure. We talk about Dr. Cornell West. He was one of the... <laughs> He is real as they come and he can't get tenure from an Ivy League um, and maybe because they don't want to one and two it they have to make a value judgment they have to they have to keep that on the books colleges are businesses at the end of the day and I'm gonna get into the other piece of how they sling degrees and how they position themselves and hawk these degrees but really they sell you a false bag of goods they're just and i and i'm serious about it they sling degrees just like the street corner hustlers they they pitch you that that deal and they know that there's money to be made off you and it's your job to get the worth out of that college just as much as they're getting the worth out of you because they're getting their money on the front end and it's up to you to go collect your money on the back end and I was said, who would have thought I would be serving the sentence out of college? And that was Sally Mae, right? After six months, after, directly after, it doesn't matter what financial condition you were in, six months directly after whether you graduated or not, you get a letter. A letter saying that this is not a bill, but you gotta start paying on this month and on this day, and this is what your estimated payment is. And if you need to call us to, to figure this out. We're gonna call you. Um, come call us because we're gonna attach your credit after this, and that's what they do. Um, Sally Mae was the overseer, many different bodies on display. Sally Mae was the overseer. Sally Mae, Freddie Mac, these are the, the federal government loans. It transformed to like Navient. And not for nothing, it was very exploitive to, to students in college. I remember being a sophomore, freshman, in college and they were giving um they were selling credit cards like if you got a if you got a fat sandwich they'll give you a free fat sandwich for a credit card of course they stopped doing that now but at my time in my era people were getting opening credit cards they say oh you need to buy books it's very predatory when you think about it now oh you need to buy books they'll give you a crazy interest rate and they'll open up a credit card in your name for a fat sandwich. You got a free fat sandwich, all you had to do was open up a credit card. And people were getting, <laughs> people were getting uh, credit on the spot. These were kids they were targeting. You know, young adults. But still, your mind is not there yet when you don't understand credit and you're taking in high debt. Um, it, it, it's very predatory. I remember... And I'm lucky to have had an EOF counselor who um, was able to to direct me and guide me along the way, which I know a lot of my peers didn't have. And her name was Jen Augusto. Shout out to one of my second and third and fourth mothers, um, Jennifer Augusto. And she um, she was able to go up to bat for me. She he was able to explain that I shouldn't take unsubsidized loans. And when, when I denied an unsubsidized loan, you should hear the loan officer in the background, like, listen, you're never going to get another loan again. I don't know if you're going to get approved from another one. And it's a scare tactic to tell you that even when you want to deny their money, they, it's a string attached. They may, they guilt trip you into wanting to take a unsubsidized loan because they're going to tell you, "We like, yeah, listen, we're going to not give you any more money. But knowing in the back, knowing what I know now is that I'm glad I didn't take it because unsubsidized loans accrue as you a attend college trifling and then um, forced to take this um, take away my right to live if I do not pay and and that's the truth there's SWAT teams that come in <laughs> there was a gentleman that got uh, uh, what is it US Marshals in Texas because he had unpaid loans um, that's extreme but it happened There's um, people who have to delay having children. Do you see these New York Times articles talking about millennials are selfish? Millennials do not want to have children. That's not the case. How can someone provide, or how could someone provide for a child when they, they don't even know the uncertainty of being employed for themselves? A lot of millennials don't want to walk into a world where they had to do a lot, because with me, while we had some first, right? I remember recessions are reoccurring. We had our first quote-unquote depression. They never called it a depression, but it's really an economic depression. We watched the stock stock markets crash. We watched Lehman Brothers go under. We watched Wall Street get a bailout. We watched um, Ford and. The the car industries get bailouts because of the bad economy. Um, When I came out of college, around that 2010 mark, jobs that were offering 70, 80,000, they either cut those departments, and now they they offered 40. Um, If you were lucky, they wanted 40 with skills, 42. Now jobs are asking people with college degrees for 35, 32. Even in my industry, when I, I have to hire someone who has a college degree, but if I don't give them the caseload they have, the most I can pay them is 35. I feel that like that's dirty. Um, I, I totally feel that's dirty. And I, I don't ever want to do that. I don't want to be able to, I want to pay somebody their worth. And I feel as though the, the job that I do, I someone should be able to at least to be get paid at least 39 with benefits, 42. but. The industry, because the industry is so low, the most I can pay you. I can comfortably pay you 32. 35 is a stretch. If you want any more than that, then you gotta bring some things to the table, right? You have to bring that additional monies however you're gonna get it to the table. And that's just business. The other thing is um two to three jobs just to stay alive. Out of college, I worked every job under the sun. I, were, I I sold. <laughs> I sold car wax. I sold um, cabinet installations, which I failed at in sales. I fixed car wind windshields. I did security overnight. I was security for Pepsi. I worked for Pepsi <laughs> as a merchandiser. Um, you name it, I I, I probably did it. I had so many different skills that I don't, I didn't even put on my resume because it just didn't, it didn't have any, (laughs) my resume didn't have any, no continuity, it was just like, yo, you just took any job because I was, I I needed the money. I couldn't um, say I'm gonna be broke out of just because. That just didn't happen. So I understand taking two to three jobs just to stay alive. I bumped into a lot of people who had college degrees who worked at Walgreens or who worked right Rite Aid in the cashier department, it, it, and it was sad, right? Even my business partner, you know, he was working. He was a bouncer I, with a master's degree. I told him, I'm like, you're the smartest bouncer in the world. <laughs> he was a master's degree. He's an accountant bouncer. It, it, these are the things you have to do in order to survive. And this is not. It's, it's common. No one wants to put off their life and not have kids. Uh, have kids at a later date or have to buy a house at a later date because They want to they do it because they have to because that debt to income ratio is something that matters in um even when you want to get an uh, FHA loan And I say I work and sleep I sleep and work my dreams are my peace until I can't Run from my purpose Right. So it it becomes a time where sleep isn't even um, comfortable anymore because you're just dissatisfied with life. And each time that you're becoming more and more dissatisfied with life, you build up this resentment towards society. You you build up this resentment. You have this woe is me attitude, which I did. I was a very bitter person at the time. Um, I worked FedEx, too. I was bitter in those um, truck bays sweating, angry, frustrated, but that's what happens. So I can understand both sides of the spectrum because labor always gets a raw deal. And so they have to group up. If things were good, people wouldn't group up. Being able to group up or be, being able to march and protest, that that is a, a tactic for, excuse me, but that is a tactic for poor people the proletariat you go out there hit the streets you burn down a couple buildings like France you you grab the heads of the kings and queens and and the nobles and you want blood because you've been getting taken advantage of I've been working in these these dirty sweatshops I've been working these farms and taking you know literally getting shit to shovel I want blood now and this is the silent war. People are at a stalemate now before be, be, before the blood in the streets. Well, I could say it was blood in the streets because during the Trump, all that frustration for um, that sense of hyper nationalism, the racism, the um, anti-Semitism, that's all byproducts of economic instability. It, it's always there. It's always going to be here. However, these people, these race baiters, That's when they get their most um, applicants because that's what they do. This is when the David Duke get their most applicants. This is when the Aryan Brotherhood gets their most applicants. This is when you see a lot of white nationalism, quote unquote, is called and it's called all the other things. Right. It might call the alt right. This is where you see that. And then this is where you see black folks group up. Right. Gun clubs pop up the NRA guns guns go on sale guns guns are being bought this is america people when they're disgruntled they shoot shit up so it's it's unfortunate and um i go on to say that i run from my purpose and sleep becomes worthless i acquire power through these strips of meaningless paper and that's what it is i'm i'm in this rat race like you and i'm we know that this this money is not backed by anything but this is the only thing i have to wheel. we know it's fake that's why you see things like amc dogecoin um gamestop there's a lot of stocks that being that are being inflated because people are disgruntled with the system so they know that if they have the means to mess up the stock or means to mess up um, people's money they will it's not even it's a statement of of resistance, it's almost like V when you see V for Vendetta or any of these movies. We're on the we're on the precipice of that, and it, it starts with the financial institutions of. There's different ways that people combat it. It's not just the streets. It's it's people hacking the system like how they did <laughs> with the gas. I, I'm not sure who did it, but you're gonna see more of that to come because the way people are getting. They're going to, um, the way they're going to juice the system is by hitting their pockets or m- messing up their financial institutions or trying their best to do something to unravel a little bit of the system because they feel pain. Because there is a, there is an imbalance, and it's been a very big imbalance in America for a long time. And once again, I'll always say that for COVID to be happening, where there's a lot of people who died um personal friends of mine people got sick we still have a president that says single-payer provider is the best (laughs) is the best solution which is asinine to me to me and um because the rest of the developing world or the rest of the modern world the western um world who have who aren't in developing nation status but actually like Top tier, they have a national healthcare system. You look at the Scandinavian countries. You look at uh, Finland. You look at um, Sweden. You look at um, you look at Britain, right? You look at the UK. They have a national healthcare system. You look at everywhere else. They have look at Japan. They have a national healthcare system, right? Where they take care of their own. America's the only place where they're like, yo, you you sick. Your kidney's about to burst. All right. And we're going to send this bill. And if you don't have it, we're going to try to charity care you out. But once we stabilize you, we're going to kick you out the door. And good luck. Best to you. Godspeed. Get up out of here. And that's where we live. And that that's not right for us to be, quote unquote, the best country in the world. Not cool. But, um, and... And I say just to be free. And and the freedom is Kanye West said some a very interesting statement. This was on the college dropout. Some people graduate, but they still stupid. They tell you, read this. And and that's it's the truth. That that album is. I, I used to bump that out of college, right? Nah, 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 nah. Wait till I get my money, right? I, I used to bump that. And um, but that's true, the college dropout. Some people graduate, but they still stupid. And Jordan Peterson has a very um and yes, I know people are, some people don't like Jordan Peterson, but I told you before in my earlier cast is that I listen to everybody. I can take the good out of everything. And um not even the good, but I can I can utilize the information and I can understand their points, even if I don't agree with it, I can take some of that away from it. And I think you should too, because you can learn from from that. And I just want you to hear a little bit about why it's called, You Can Go to University to Not Be Something. And it's, it, and it's a good, it's four minutes, but I'm only gonna share two minutes of it with you. And here, give me one. Second, and we're good to go
1: facilitated because you can go to university to not be something instead of going to university to be something and and that's it's pleasure island and the price you pay for it especially in the US is debt and you're enticed into it because the administrators can pick your pocket so they, they rob your future self while allowing you to pretend that you have an identity right very nasty, and you can't declare bankruptcy with your student loans in the US. It's indentured servitude, and it it is precisely Pleasure Island, it's exactly that. And so tuition fees have shot way out of control. And part of the reason that universities don't make more demands on their students and let them get away with all the things they let them get away with is because they're basically, why the hell would you chase them out? They're a $100,000 or more. So they can do whatever they want, as long as you get to sell them to the salt mines. Right. So, and you know, it's not the only reason, because the other thing that's happened is that the rate of technological transformation is so fast now, and the rate of turnover of things is that it's, it is genuinely harder for people who are, say, 18 to 20. When I was a kid, roughly speaking, the kind of rough patch for... for for life was probably 14 to 17, something like that. Now it's, I think it's 18 to 25, something like that. And I I think the reason for that is, is that all the jobs that the bloody hippies complained about being doomed to in the 1960s have now disappeared.
0: Okay, I'm gonna stop you there because there's a lot that we have to unpack. He literally said that, he said a lot, but Let's go back to the university. You can literally stall and and not be anything in the university. And I've seen it as an undergrad and I've seen it as an administrator. I see that. Um, and especially, how does this relate to black and brown students? And even poor white, because I've seen it this way, right? I saw... Things that I never thought I would see when I went to and uni- to university, and I wasn't that far removed. The university was very, and this is not just the university I attended, and I won't say their names. This was a common thread amongst my colleagues who went to who were across the country. Is that the universities got lax? I remember getting almost getting kicked out of school because I didn't have the money, and it was just like sayonara. Um, they. But I gained some skills from that. I gained grit. I gained, I didn't take no for an answer because college puts a mirror up to you and it says, who are you and are you gonna fight to be who you are? It it was almost like the street, right? You almost had to use your abilities to get what you wanted and I wasn't gonna take no for an answer. I watched students roll over and I watched students have their mother and their father put $6,000, $7,000 on a credit card and it was all good and they continue to fail. And it's been times where I've told students, like, listen, this is a, a big sacrifice that your parents are undertaking. I don't wanna, I don't wanna scare you, but I wanna say that you need to kick up, right? You need to do your best, you need to not play with this because at the end of the day, they're gonna take your money, suck you dry, and kick you out the door, and that's how it's gonna be, right? And some students got it. They graduated. But some students played around with it. And they end up... And, and you know what? I know some kids that were doing so bad. And I would just say, why do you keep bringing them back? Because the debt that they're going to accrue is going to be crazy to live on campus. And these people would be at like six, seven years. And, and they're just milking it. I'm just like... And it is Pleasure Island. Pleasure Island, he was referring to Pinocchio. In Pinocchio, if you, if you ever saw Pinocchio, Pinocchio's a, a little boy, and he ended up not listening to his conscience on Pleasure Island. And they gave all the little kids everything you needed to do, right? debauchery. they gave them food, you, get, you could get to smoke, you played pool, you did all the, the grown up, quote unquote, grown up things and you paid for it because they turned you into a jackass. It was a donkey. And you see Pinocchio grew ears in his, and this is, um, he, he talks about this as well too in a lot of his, um, and I mean Jordan Peterson in his lectures. And it is Pleasure Island. And, and it's a very good reference because I saw that in the university. I saw people turn a blind eye. I saw when, when some student was supposed to get punished and you did, they didn't kick them out, right? Because they knew there was some money attached to it. As long as that their parents were able to, to complain a little bit. And it, it just, and I said, where are we going? And I, as an administrator, would be questioned. And that's the unfortunate, I would be questioned as to why I adjudicated a case or did something that, that was by the book, as opposed to them being on my side because you knew that this they were a check. You can, you couldn't even tell them the truth. It's a, It's a shame when college professors or like anyone can't tell the students the truth. like when you get out of here like, for example, I told students that you will have to compete with Ivy League guys, um, uh, the likes of a Rutgers, Columbia, Yale, um, then you have the mid-tier schools, right? You got Pace University. You you have um, NYU. Like the, they're not Ivy League, but they're they're just as good. They're they're just as prestigious <laughs> with longevity. And then you come one step above community college, or you might have like a low access school. So there's some skills that you need to develop. And if you don't have the skills, you have to develop some grit or some persistence, which the lower tier schools weren't doing because they just were sucking you dry because of the low-hanging fruit. And me as an a African-American administrator was highly overworked because I just made it my business to try to save as many lives as I can, but it became a sinking ship because everybody was in on it. Everybody's in on the tape. And, and it became disgusting because I'm watching students who look like me being taken care of in ways which they won't be taken care of in the real world like oh let them get by oh let them go ahead and sag their pants oh let them go i'm like listen that's cool and all in your everyday life but you need to learn this you need to learn how to wear a suit and tie you need to learn how to develop your soft skills you need to learn how to interview and so i was taking my time to interview and, 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 and train these students to come up with it because you can literally uh, go to college and not learn anything besides book work and even that wasn't even good enough you, you have to and I saw it and I saw it and I couldn't look away so I, I, I bounced I started my own thing I was like you know what it was time for me to go no hard feelings, but that's not the direction we went. I remember there were times where people, parents called the office and and asked me, why did my son or daughter didn't get the job? And I looked and, and I would be baffled because my mother wasn't calling nobody to say why my son didn't get the job. It was my responsibility to get the job or refine my skills, hone my skills, because the, the real world was is that is some jobs that I I, I applied. I used to apply 100, 100 applications a, a week, 100 plus applications a week. And I got no callbacks. My, my information is in the ether. <laughs> my information is in the ether. And so to have to be coddled that way, where you have black and brown students and poor white students who don't need to be coddled. see what i'm saying you don't need to be coddled they need to be told reality i know i had a piece that said um who am i to tell you how to take flight right it was it was a piece that i just didn't want to it was almost like daedalus i i don't want to tell you to go as far up to the sun so your wings could melt but i also don't want you to fly low so you can sink And and that's what we come we come up against, is that now in in reality is that we're faced, like I'm steeped in reality. And my observations are true. I, I try to try to be as objective as possible. up within reason, right. right? Because I'm I'm coming from a specific experience, I have specific backgrounds. But I, I try to digest this material and give it to you in, in the way I see it, in the way I perceive it. And this is what I saw. As American and 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 as America, the rest of the world is looking at us like a big juicy steak, because we're weak because we're lying to ourselves. And this is where the implosion comes in: is that we don't have, we're not making strong individuals in the col- on the college level. So it definitely is not going to happen on in the elementary, maybe the skilled trades. But however, the people who are coming from the third world. Besides the racism and all that stuff like that, they have high skills. When you have, when you see the Chinese, they're they're pumping out engineers. When you see India, IT and engineering is at the height. When you see Japan, IT and engineering is at its height. Um, highly organized people, right? You see Africa is an emerging superpower. You see the Nigerian base coming in. You see, you see the guy, Ga- the Ghanaian base coming in. You. See, and as African-American, right, first-generation African-American, I see where we fall short. I see where white folks fall short. I see where uh, us as Americans fall short because we've been drinking our Kool-Aid for too long to say that we're the best. No, the rest of the world has caught up with us. The only difference right now is that we have guns and they don't. We have nuclear weapons and they don't. So they have to play ball. But that other thing when it comes to brain power when it comes to education when it comes to we're not we're not the best when it comes to healthcare we're not the best look Cuba we've been treating Cuba like shit for a long time but Cuba's been number 1 and number 2 in healthcare for a long time we we have to get some things under wrap and and we are we're too self-indulgent Right. We talk about Pleasure Island. You talk about being lied to. And this is where you can get someone with a Ph.D. that works at Starbucks because they've been taught one thing. We've been taught that you're supposed to work for somebody as a cog in a wheel. And if I didn't have my experiences to talk to the elders or an elder African man or talking to some professors and say, like, listen. and, And even my pops. Listen, when you get your degree, you don't have to work for anybody. My mom, my people, you learn some some historical skills. When I, when I wanted to jump into, to, to, to run my business, I spoke to my mother. She said, you know, I, my side of the family ain't never worked for nobody. Oh, really? I didn't know that. That would have helped a long time ago. But it, it's almost inevitable that you have to make this leap of faith or this jump. Because and the thing is, is that we're being lied to. The, the your pastors is, is 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 running you down for your, your your tithes and offerings every Sunday. College degrees ain't what it is or what it used to be because employers know that they have to train you anyway. So it's like, and then there's so many people with college degrees. You devalue the degree it's because there's just too it there's too many types of degrees in the workplace for them to say like it's almost like a bargain half off it's like yo you can get somebody with a college degree with skills for half the price that i would get them to bring them on down i can get two or three you guys and that's the name of the game it's nasty but you got to understand it you have to steep yourself you can't be sitting there like well i have a phd you should treat me as such and then you're going you end up working at starbucks or being homeless because you're not thinking, you're thinking that you're special. Of course you're special. You're special. You're a special soul. You're a special individual. There's You're one of one, yes. But in the marketplace where you, you have to put your skills on display, you are one of 50,000, 200,000. 300,000 and then it's a global marketplace it's global now so you're one of a million PhDs that's from India right they a million PhDs from there, there's several hundreds of thousand PhDs in China and around the world where you have to compete you're not America is is on the menu too our borders have been open a long time ago that's what they want to tell you they tell you we're closing the border need to build infrastructure but america has been open the moment that american businesses started going overseas and utilizing there's a push and pull effect the moment that they american businesses went overseas to compete and other businesses came over to compete with america the marketplace is global you don't need alibaba to tell you this you don't need jack ma you don't need elon musk which is who, who is south african You have to understand it. And a lot of us are just saying, talking about America, America, America. No, no, you have to talk about Chai America, right? Or you got to talk about the Amero, (laughs) America in Mexico, or America in the UK, or America in Israel, or America, because these are the, the, it it plays out on your lap. It plays out right, these effects, these global effects are affecting you right now. And you don't see it, because... We are to- we, we want to play around it's Pleasure Island and I, I watched it so you can definitely go to you definitely could prolong your life and play with it but then you just suffer longer you suffer the consequences longer and um I think we have to revise a lot of things and reanalyze the way we see things. And how we shape the world. But I'm going to leave you there. This is Cotton and the Rock Chip. Peace.